0: Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Cellar, as the prophecy was foretold. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel
1: i'm broadcaster nichols
0: and today we're going to talk about the masterpiece of all masterpieces a game that was preordained by the stars themselves to bring balance to the world of course i talk about death stranding nicholas what do you think about the gift that is being brought down to us from heaven by lord kojima-san
1: I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I mean, it's a great game. It looks like a great game. I so, think if I say anything else, Sony might uh, give me a letter in the mail.
0: <laughs> so, so she's an
1: assist, if you will.
0: <laughs> should we burn the non-believers? Should we drown them? Should we just throw them in a jail cell until they admit the truth and the error of their ways? How do you think we should handle dissent?
1: Well, history has always told us stories of treason and betrayal. And I think, you know, we can look at the Chinese for good recommendations for not believing in Kojima-san. There's the water torture, you know, where we just drop water on their forehead for eternity in a cell. And I think that might be appropriate. (laughs) But I can't believe that (laughs) that these people... Don't believe in him to begin with. I mean, let's be real here. This guy's a legend. He's never really made a bad game. I mean, other than if you just don't like Gear solid. But if you like Melvier's solid and you played them all, I don't know how you could flip-flop now when all we saw was 50 minutes of, I don't want to use particular too strongly, but it. You know, in his own words, it was very limited gameplay due to, storyline reasons right you didn't want to give away anything mm. and yeah. i think it's just it's interesting that everyone's just basing it off of that they're just like oh this game looks boring it's, i don't know man It look like Melbourne solid without killing people mm. essentially you know
0: yeah i think part of it is this new culture we live in of like basically people wanting spoilers so like you'll notice that trailers today will literally give major plot points away and you'll just kind of scratch your head and be like what why Why would they tell us that in the trailer and it's something people seem to crave now because most people don't mind it when i bring it up to people they're like oh it's 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 a trailer it's supposed to you it's like no trailers used to give you a taste of what the movie was not give you like the plot twist of like not like uh it's it's a little ridiculous people just seem to want spoilers and the media definitely is running with that because i'll go to news of sites all the time and they'll just have spoilers in the headlines before something even comes out i think when the, these trailers for games come out now from people that are legit like kojima that are not going to spoil stuff in their trailers people kind of get mad about it like, how dare you hold back story elements from a teaser
1: yeah and i mean it's totally kojima style too like he'll never like give you any strong bit of storyline. You have to play the game to unravel that. Like <laughs> all you get is, you know, the character reveals most of the time with Kojima. He doesn't even do that most of the time. He only does like the prominent ones. That seems to be his real big deal. Get like a a real good voice actor, tie him to the character, and like that's usually that's what they did with Gear Solid 5, right? The whole thing with uh, what's his name? Sutherland Keith or Sutherland. Yeah. Keith or Sutherland. Yeah. That was like almost all the footage you got before the game actually came out was just the fact that he was playing snake and they showed you like you know some mocap and some audio dialogue of him doing the new lines you know so I never really showed you any of the story
0: yeah that definitely that's definitely a style there's lots of obsification in everything he releases and people sometimes misunderstand that as like a lack of content or it is weird because he's, he's only released some of the greatest storylines of all time. People just don't (laughs) trust him. There's going to be a story there. Come on guys. I think it's
1: also interesting to note that Sony's embargo on the game is going to end a week before the game actually comes out, which is pretty long in the embargo world for video games. So I think that's them saying alone that they're pretty confident with the game. You know, they're going to allow people to play the game for a full week and make a review before the game comes out, right? So if people don't think the game is good, that gives them a lot of time to, you know, pretty much affect their sales dramatically.
0: Yeah, if if the publisher thinks the game's going to flop, they put an embargo till the day it was released. So
1: Some games have actually done it Hours past the release, like five really? hours after the release, yeah, for sure.
0: Wow, I didn't even know. How is that possible? How are they going to stop people who buy the game from posting a review?
1: <laughs> Dude, YouTube, you know, all these platforms that allow you to you know publish content as a creator and stuff are all under an iron gauntlet now. You know, like all yeah, as a, especially as a corporation or a major developer, all they gotta do is like blow a whistle, and they'll shut anyone's video or channel down or strike them at least so they don't they don't get money from them.
0: Yeah, so I think we both agree that this was a story-first game. You wrote the entire storyline and then said, let's make a game around this.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what people kind of detect, maybe. (laughs) is they see this this new genre he's coming out with, you know, this new stranding, social strand system. And he's really, or I should say, he really did emphasize it in that content reveal you know that gameplay reveal and everyone's just kind of scratching their heads at like, uh, what else do you do you know?
0: <laughs> yeah because i like gameplay that people seem to have a lot of problems with the the game that it reminds me most of is breath of the wild which is a very popular game and most people don't have any problems with that that style of gameplay it, it's an odd thing i to, think with such a little information to just kind of be like Oh, this is just a walking simulator. I mean, did you call Zelda a walking si- simulator? I think I mean, Breath uh, of the Wild's a little bit
1: more action, though. You know, you, mean, you, your say traditional that, Zelda
0: element. you say that with the knowledge of playing it. We haven't played mm-hmm. Death Stranding yet. And from what I saw, true. there's a lot of Zelda in Death Stranding so far. From my perspective, from what I've seen.
1: Like exploring and quests and stuff like that.
0: Well, I mean, exploring the world seamlessly, climbing mountains, using tools, aka equipment. Like you know, he has a ladder. Yeah. I mean, I mean, literally the original <laughs> Zelda. One of the first uh, equipment you get is a ladder. Like, I mean, that's straight <laughs> from the original Zelda, right there.
1: I didn't even pick up on that. Did you know that when you put those uh, those bridges down and everything, they're permanent, right?
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That, that, Yeah,
1: that's part of the the stranding system, is that you build a bridge, you're connecting. It's part of the slogan, right? Connecting the world with bridges or something like that.
0: So it's a persistent world. Interesting.
1: It is, but you can get rid of them. So the player always has the option to delete it from their world only, from what I understand. So if something's like a troll getting in your way or it offends you, quote-unquote, you can get get rid of it. Yeah, I mean... Back to this whole thing with Kojima's storytelling coming first and the gameplay or, whatever you know, what you do in the game coming second. I think it's interesting because it definitely seems apparent, but at the same time, he's doing something new with the second part of that, the, the, the gameplay element. And I, I don't know if it, if it scares people more that it's just not middle no, or solid, essentially, like you're not, you're not actually fighting anything with, like, a gun. Or like some superpower? Kind the, of, I think that I believe
0: I, I saw some gunplay in in the one of no, the trailers. Well, I saw. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, I saw some gunplay.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I yeah. I know was there was confident. like in the in the movie clips they've had like some of the. I remember like some of the original content from, like a year ago. Maybe there was some soldiers that fired some guns, but I don't think there's been gun or gameplay with guns.
0: Yeah, the second trailer definitely had guns, but uh, the gameplay trailer that had, like, 45 minutes of gameplay or whatever, there was a part where he was shooting. He was throwing,
1: like, grenades or something during that boss fight.
0: It looked like a stun gun, honestly. It was a weird-looking gun. Yeah. But uh, there's definitely some form of gunplay in this game. Probably not what you're expecting from an Gear (laughs) game, obviously. There's something in there.
1: I'd like to see what he does with it. It's going to be cool. You know, like I, I really trust the guy as a game developer, and the fact that he's even making a an attempt at creating a genre in such a stale industry of saturation. You know, it's like every genre has been rinse and repeat so much. Yeah. That. So it's a good sign. Like I, I like the idea.
0: <laughs> well, with the whole like uh, theory that we're gonna have like a a meta type multiplayer. Do you think it's just going to be like Bloodborne slash Dark Souls, where it's just like little ghost images and little notes and stuff? Or do you think there's more to it than that?
1: Well, it's funny you say that, because I definitely believe that's where he got the idea. I definitely see the Bloodborne Dark Souls uh, help system, you know, where people can leave the scrolls and the was it in Dark Souls, The, the, the skeletons coming out of the ground or something? Yeah, I forget what it was, but. He definitely got the idea from that because I can't think of another game or another type of game like that that did anything like that. I said like that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, but, I believe uh, Demon Souls is the first game to ever do it. Uh, I, that's the first time I ever saw anything like it. It was really we don't interesting know. back then.
1: Yeah, well, we don't know exactly like the extent of the system. Like He could be planning a lot more grander ideas for boss fights or other stuff like that. I mean, we've seen essentially putting down physical items in the world and helping anybody during a, and I only assume this, during like a somewhat big fight because in that third and final trailer we got, the gameplay trailer, uh, he fought that boss and there was those white NPC, you know, those like white Zetsu looking motherfuckers coming up <laughs> out of the ground and they were like items and stuff. So I don't know if... That's a player that already fought the boss, and like there's some action to essentially help a player when they get to that point too. Or if they're both in the fight at the same time, and I, I you know, it's it's odd to to think about as it? it. It in order for it to, it's like you, essentially I think you're just planting a seed essentially. Like it has to be like that. You just you were at that area, and you're just it gives you some type of prompt with an item that allows you to do that maybe.
0: Do you think there's going to be invaders? Because one thing I noticed is one of the villains that they introduced in that character reveal trailer is basically a dude dressed up like you with that uniform that the delivery men have, but mm-hmm. like an evil version, right? Did you do? You, do you remember seeing that?
1: Yeah, um, I saw that. Like he has um, like a
0: skull mask on, but then he takes the skull mask off, and there's another mask below it. I mean. I wonder have if to that's s- uh, an invader built into the storyline to justify the feature. I wonder about that. Because it seems like he's an evil version of you that's coming to fuck your shit up. Just like invaders in uh, Bloodborne. They're basically just coming in to sabotage you.
1: It could. I mean, it might have something to do with getting pulled under, you know? And start and getting reborn. Because I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. Like, there's something to do with that baby and you being connected to it that allows you to pretty much come back from the other side and that mama character her baby's on the other side there's something to do with that so but what would they do you know like what would the invaders do like I, if there is no gunplay if there is no real like action element besides killing bosses and it's kind of like i don't know
0: speaking of bosses, environmental um, ways the, what the, would first you do boss, the they show you looks like it's straight out of bloodborne isn't that interesting <laughs> i found that very
1: <laughs> yeah, well he, He's definitely pulling some elements elements from the game.
0: Yeah, I would say so. And uh, another cool thing was like the Zotto one tar pools from that uh, second trailer, the one uh, where they like all the, the really cool action happens with the uh, the bad guys, the uh, BTS or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's what I was talking about when you get pulled under the pools. Yeah, especially. yeah
0: that is a. That's one of the coolest things I've seen in a while in a video game. I was really psyched to see that when <laughs> when like the pool started moving with him in it still like half underground, half up. Like Yeah. Just a really cool I think, thing.
1: I think in the end this game's gonna be more of a puzzle survival exploring game. You know, I don't I think our, our guts are all right in the idea that it's gonna be minimal on the actual traditional action that people are I think expecting. Yeah. But sure. I, I also think that notion's a shame because I I I don't personally think because this game isn't gonna have guns in it or you know some physical power you use to you know kill mobs of enemies or whatever you want to put it is making it lacking. As long as you can pull it off, as long as the story's compelling and you know, the elements that you do have at handling, you know, like building the bridges and you know, I I think you make bases and stuff like that. If it's if it's fun, you know, like uh, Metal Gear Solid had a the shell, the Outer Haven that you could um, expand on and people could attack your bases and you could send troops off to other people's bases and stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure he's like taking that concept, too. Hmm. and He's going to expand on it. So,
0: yeah, the Cause I think
1: that's what PvP is going to be.
0: Yeah, the multiplayer is a really interesting question because we really don't know anything about it other than it seems like it's going to be a meta type pvp or any however it is pvp or pve who knows there could be cooperative stuff because the whole theme of the game is working together to rebuild whatever this whole bridges thing it's not
1: unfamiliar territory for him at all i mean he he's been doing no solid online since mgs4 you know so
0: what do you think of the ocean like water theme of this game because every single trailer has featured it it's it the very first one is uh Norman Reedus walking towards the ocean with the baby and seeing all the dead whales and the dead fish and everything on the ocean and then you just see the the five black floating figures up in the sky. From there the next one's even more like of an ocean theme because they're near the ocean again and when the big uh, colossal BT shows up. He like raises the ocean so that they're on the bottom of the ocean, but they're still where they were standing on the ground. You know what I mean? So it seems like there's this weird theme going on where we're all in the ocean and we just don't know it, and it can raise and lower at any time. And what is the ground is is just where the ocean decided to recede below at that certain point. And it, I find it very interesting that these BTS seem to somehow be tied to the water in the ocean.
1: Yeah, I I know there was like some type of event, and the beach is like ground zero. That's that's all I understand is that that is where like all this, all the, the catalyst for all this took place. So I think when we see these movie clips and stuff, I don't know if they're present tense or past tense. I, I get the feeling they're past tense. You know, like we're viewing the beginning that we don't necessarily play.
0: Yeah. And goes back to that whole obfuscation thing. It's possible yeah. we play this game, and the Ocean has nothing to do with it, and Kojin will just be laughing at us. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty fucking funny. It's like I just thought. Let me have it. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think the BTS are? Do you think they're demons? Do you think they're aliens?
1: I think they're. I think they're corrupted humans of some kind, like some type of changed human form because all the there's you see like transparent black mist floating bodies essentially they definitely look human they have tethers and then there's like the greater bts that look like these these monsters but like that big colossal one that one really didn't take complete form you know it seemed like it was it wasn't all the way in the world uh, compared to like that yeah. uh, that one that uh the gold the guy in the golden mask summons you know, where it actually took shape in the world and it actually had a golden face. So, I'd be Although, interested to see what that has to do with it, you know? There yeah. seems to be multiple types of DTs, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it, Yeah.
0: Yeah, the Colossal it's, one, I noticed its face was changing the entire time it was on the screen. Yeah. Its, its yep. face was never static at all. It just kept... That was
1: so it, cool. It, it just had a hand way. for a head and very <laughs> closing.
0: Yeah, well, uh... So this uh, fragile woman from that—I'm assuming you saw the fragile trailer. Yeah, (laughs) that was the one of the ones I actually saw when it first came out a while ago, and I didn't really—I watched it a second time yesterday, and I didn't pick up on this the first time. But it seems like fragile might actually not be real, and might be in Norman Reedus's head. What do you think about that? Because there are several scenes where she's talking to him but she's not actually there but then like they'll kind of shift the camera a little bit and then all of a sudden she'll be there
1: i think well the, i mean it could definitely be that or have something to do with being on the other side because they've res- they've referenced that like mm-hmm. there's another there's like a dark world or something like that that's where the other the enemies come from i'm not, i'm just kind of speculating on that but I think maybe she's on the other side. Maybe they're having conversations. Maybe they're tied together somehow. Um, Yeah.
0: Do you think that the... uh, So from the Dead Man trailer with Guillermo del Toro, this was my favorite trailer, mainly because it has like this backdrop of like an army of infested Terrans just marching across this bridge as he's cowering below it. Just a really kind of a cool scene. But then you think it's over, and then it starts going into that sewer, and then all of a sudden Mad Mickelson... Cliff, the guy Cliff with, and his skull soldiers show up, mm-hmm. and I find it interesting that they just
1: traverse time.
0: Yes, it, seem, <laughs> it seems like they were not actually connected to the army above, even though the army above is definitely this at least similar to the the skull soldiers because they have that black ooze coming off of them. The same way the tanks had tentacles. That's why I'm calling them the infested Terrans because of the tentacle tank. <laughs> But I wonder if they're actually the same army, or if they're on the same side, or if maybe Cliff and the Skull Soldiers are kind of like an in-between, like they're not on either side and they have their own agenda. What do you think about Cliff and the well, Skull I think, Soldiers?
1: I, I don't think being whatever this corruption is or whatever, I don't think it necessarily puts you on the same side because there's, again, there's the guy in the golden mask who was wielding the corruption he used it as a weapon like he summoned it into the world and we already have a little bit of story on that guy that he's part of a group that pretty much goes around causing uh, i think they call them blackout zones or something like that it's essentially when a bt uh, goes critical and like just just destroys the whole area and turns everybody into ghosts or whatever
0: yeah i wasn't sure so if that was the same thing is because in the trailer uh, yeah i'm not saying
1: cliff is like that cliff definitely looks like he's corrupted you know
0: well that explosion thing you're talking about they also acted like it happened if norman Reedus died remember like there are there some others yeah you can die and you'll come back dude but that whole area is just going to be done it's going to do the explosion thing that you were just talking about yeah so is that the I think same ha- thing is what the colossal uh yeah. He does? I think
1: I think that is directly co- correlates. Yeah. But
0: why would it happen to Norman Reedus like the the way they explained that seemed very odd.
1: Well, I think yeah, well I think they're doing that on purpose, but I think the baby uh, is like a privilege. I don't think everyone has the ability to have like that baby and be able to like come back. So I think in that capacity he's just saying, yeah, sure you'll survive, but no one else will. So it's not worth it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What do you think about this being a simulation, a world within a world? Because in one of the trailers, it shows Mad Mickelson as a normal human scientist, not the Cliff version, the, the commander of the skulls. It just shows him as a normal scientist with that same baby Norman Reedus has in a tube. Mm-hmm. And he, he starts talking to it like it's in a different world right now, but soon he's going to bring it back to the real world. So, you know what I mean? At least that's kind of the, what I got out of it. What do you think about that scene? And do you think that it's possible this game is all like within a world within a world?
1: I don't know if I'd go that far, but again, I think I'd go back to the whole other side thing. You know, looking at uh, Mad's character when he's all corrupted, I think that's him being in the other world for his in his world you know so i think when we see him like talking to that baby that's the world or the other the other side he's from so he looks normal so i think there's this idea of like being in a place you shouldn't be or something like that or maybe realms colliding or something like that is what might be going on maybe like heaven's door or satan's door was opened up or something like that, that type
0: of <laughs>
1: this type of storyline you know so
0: one last thing I wanted to talk about was the Metal Gear Zero thing. So <laughs> when I, from what I've seen so far, and obviously these trailers aren't revealing enough to fully know for sure that this isn't Metal Gear Z- Zero and he's just kind of catfishing Konami with this. What do you think, with your vast knowledge of Metal Gear and how it could tie into Death Stranding, what do you think, based off of what you've seen, are the odds that this is actually like, at its core, Metal Gear Zero, but he's just kind of changing it enough to where it's not Metal Gear anymore.
1: I think he's doing exactly that. I think he's trying to keep as many elements as he can in the game, but not, like, for instance, like Fragile. You know who Fragile looks like a lot? Boss from Metal Gear Solid 3. When I first saw Fragile, I was like, wow. Like, I I almost Googled it to see if they were actually using the same actress as a model for the characters, but it turns out it wasn't. But nonetheless, like I, I see them and I'm just like, ah, oh, it looks very similar to a young boss. And then the other chick, uh, I forget her name, but the bridges, the older woman, she looks like a boss. She's a blonde, tall white woman. She has kind of the same Josh boss and stuff. So it's like, I can see where he's going for it in these archetypes of characters. And then there's mama and, uh, Another one, I forget what her name is, but they look like uh, quiet from MGS Five. They look, they're very, they're brunettes. They have like the same facial structure. Like you can see what he's trying to do. And Norman Regis is kind of an outlier because definitely doesn't look like fucking <laughs> That's all <it's> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's going for elements like that. You know, I don't. I don't think the storyline personally is going to be connected at all because he doesn't want any any way him. to get sued yeah but he might you know there was, was that the youtuber guy and most of his stuff was this crazy conspiracy theory but he had connected uh, the the saying of bridges connecting people and stuff like that he somehow tied that to pt and then tied that to metal gear solid and i thought that was interesting like it was a persistent yeah. um uh ide- like ideal or something like that, that uh, kojima like Put through his games.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is that uh Metal Gear Solid Three seems to have a lot of connections to Death Stranding so far. If you're going to take any of the Metal Gears out of all of them, to me, it's either going to be MGS Three or MGS Five. uh MGS Three, like the sorrow, some of the some of the bosses just have like the same vibe as what I'm seeing in Death Stranding. And with MGS Five. You remember, like, the ghost ghost guys that would follow you around in MGS-5 that you'd have to fight? They'd just teleport around. It's like five shadow guys. I forget what they're called. the skulls. Um, Right. Don't they seem exactly like the (laughs) Cliffs and the Skull Soldiers? I mean, they seem like the exact same almost. I'm pretty sure it was the Skulls. Yeah, and then you have the imagery of those five... BTs in the first trailer up in the sky. That also kinda reminds me of them a little bit. So there definitely seems to be at least some imagery and some motif similarity at the very least between those two games and No Destiny. doubt.
1: I mean, it could be like like any great storyteller, they I mean they kinda like build this ever expanding universe in their head, you know, and they like kinda like pick a piece of food off of it and, you know, turn it into whatever medium they can. You know? Yeah. So maybe in Kojima's head That this dark universe or whatever has always existed in his head, even where Melgar Solid 5 came from. You know, that's where these skull soldiers and uh, what were we talking about in Melgar Solid 5? The sorrow, you know, that world where all those ghosts were coming from and haunt. Maybe that's where he, in his mind, pulled all this stuff from. And now he's actually making a game. Based on this type of other side, yeah. so in that way it's connected. You know,
0: that's what I'm thinking too. Because when I watched the conspiracy video on YouTube with that guy, I forget his name. <laughs> he, uh, the thing that got me the most was his part on MGS3 when he was connecting it to MGS3, and there's just like some codec messages and the sorrow and certain aspects where I just kind of my jaw dropped a little bit because there were some really interesting similarities there the rest of it was a hard reach in my opinion. There, were, there was a lot of reaching in the rest of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just impressive that he even remembered that. Like, he was rather just fresh off playing Metal Gear Solid 3 again, or he fired that game up and got all the way over there, had a save file ready <laughs> and did some extensive research. Because when he, like, took that sound bite of the ghosts uh, while you're in the river fighting sorrow, and then played it against the the only sound bites we had of the new enemy and Death Stranding from the trailers. That's just insane. Like, how did he, like, even think about that?
0: Like, yeah, and that's what kind of makes
1: that's what makes my big brain, co- you know, conspiracy theory mind go, that's Kojima. <laughs> that's, a fucking, that's Kojima just trying to push the agenda online in secrecy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is Kojima. And uh, I think that's a, a good place to end it. All right, now to Joker. What were your general thoughts on Joker?
1: I left. I walked out. I couldn't believe what my eyes were showing me. It was a tragedy to all humanity. No, I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was talking about this with somebody else, and it you just used the word earlier for, you know, Death Stranding, is that it's a human piece. It's really weird. You know, like, it's not just a story about Joker, like, you just, it's kind of just like a movie that kind of shows you an example of someone that falls through the cracks and how abandonment, you know, isn't always the best route or shunning isn't the best route all while, you know, other social elements were playing out in society and, you know, the fact that he was the Joker as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, and the fact that the
1: opening, the opening part of it, like, where he, he had his fingers in his mouth and he's crying, you know, it's like just a call back to such an old classic that like the whole concept of the characters like based off of it it was just really well done, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so did you hear about the incel shit before you went in? Like, did you know about that whole controversy? Oh yeah.
1: My fingers on the comic world polls pretty well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for the months leading up to this movie's release, every single media outlet was like, Oh, it's the new anthem of the incels this is going to radicalize incels a theater will be shot up by an incel this is the movie for incels the joker is an incel this like every single thing they said was basically this is an incel movie and an incel is going to shoot up the theater after they see incel joker do incel things on a, a movie screen none of that was true Literally none of it. There is absolutely no aspect of this movie that has anything to do with incels.
1: No, I mean, it was just a prop from the beginning. It was just used as a prop for the whole agenda. You know, you know, I mean, most of the time you hear about this crap in, in the news, it never pans out. And the joke was just another example, you know, like they wanted to pick and choose, you know, like the thing with the, uh, I think her name's Zazie Beetz. It <laughs> was the uh, female actress. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but you know, They were mad. That like she was used as like that type of character. And it's just like, they're, it's such a weird perspective. They're just like, that character should be more, even though that character only exists to do exactly what happened. You know, it's like we treat these stories, these pieces of fiction, like they should be real life examples. Like everything should be an example. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just, it's really weird.
0: Yeah. And uh, now's a good time to mention that anytime we do reviews of anything with a storyline, which is probably most things we're ever going to review, we'll start off with non-spoilers, and then we'll be pretty clear when we start going into the spoiler range. So
1: We'll try to be.
0: So that's funny, the Zazzy Beats thing, when the movie first started and she was introduced in the elevator and that whole thing, I was like, okay, this is where the incel shit comes from. I I was like, okay, at least it was based in reality and it wasn't bullshit. But then, as the movie goes on, and I guess this is sort of spoilery but not really it isn't an incel situation i'm not going to say obviously what happens between the two but there is no incel situation going on mm-hmm. so so the fact that a coordinated media effort could happen that could say something that is flat false and come from every media organization on the planet essentially is stunning to me
1: well i mean it just doesn't it doesn't fit you know it's like it's a white guy who has a problem, you know, there's no uh, social um, checkboxes being hit, you know, like, of course the media was going to attack, especially because it was, it, it was such a violent movie. Uh, yeah. It was really, it's really, un, it's really unusual case, like how Joker got attacked, because you would think before this movie ever got announced, like if you were just to, you know, after Jared Leto's performance, just such... Well, I'm not going to say a terrible performance, because there are some things I liked about Jared Leto's Joker. I think he didn't get a fair shake, you know? But, like, at the end of the day, it was a terrible fucking movie, and it was not the greatest performance from Jared
0: Leto. He's a great fucking actor, in my opinion. He is. I love him in a lot of movies. Like, every movie he's ever been in, except for Suicide Squad, basically.
1: Yeah, Yeah. but it's like, if you were to pretty much go right after that movie's controversial release, you know, and you'd be like, well, there's the next Joker's coming out. You don't say what it's about or anything. You just think people would be ecstatic, you know, like it's based on history before where anytime the Joker was in anything, people weren't like well, what's it talking about? And why is there so much violence? And, you know, like, what, what is this? You know, no one ever asked those questions before. And, like, it's crazy because I talk to people and they compare them to, like, Heath Ledger. And it's not really even a comparable performance. Like, they're just two completely different jokers. And it's they, tr- they try to use Heath Ledger as, like, well, he you know, was a great phenomenal performance and he didn't do violent things. And I, and I say to the hat, I'm like, well, the fucker put a pencil through someone's fucking eye. Yeah.
0: They, didn't, they either didn't watch the movie or they're just lying because he definitely well, did violent things.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, he definitely did violent things. But every time I bring this up, like a lot of people that argue, the others is there's like, well, it's not the same type of violence. You know, it wasn't so grotesque. Like he straight, you know, you know, spoiler warning, he straight, or sorry arthur fleck straight murdered his roommate in a gruesome way and made someone else kind of like you know view the situation then made fun of him after the fact you know so it's like two different levels of violence but still dark comedic in its value you know i don't it's the joker either way i think they're both great performances and it's just weird to see Joaquin Phoenix's performance attacked in such a brutal way. And he's not even a controversial actor either. Like if you were to look back at all his other performances, you wouldn't be like, oh shit, Joaquin's in this movie. Here we go.
0: Yeah, he's he's one of those he's one of those really weird actors. Like in Hollywood, there's some actors, actors that are really just kinda out there. Crispin Glover is another one that comes to mind, where when you hear him in interviews, they don't really sound like they're douchebags or anything, but they sound like they're on a different planet. And yeah. I think that that actually really helped Joakim Phoenix with this Joker, because I feel like he he uh, covered his ears, and he didn't let anyone tell him what Joker was supposed to be, and he really put his footprint on it. Like It wasn't like, I'm just going to emulate Heath Ledger, or I'm just going to emulate Jack Nichols. Uh, he really did his own version, and I really liked it. I really liked every th- all the little things, like the way he giggled. That was my favorite part. His laugh was so unique. There's never been a Joker that laughs like him. And the way he kind of just does it under his breath is fucking amazing. I love that about his performance.
1: Yeah, like, you know, because the laugh was like just kind of like tied to his mental illness, you know? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I don't want, yeah, not to say too much more. Yeah, about let's, that, but. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Let's, let's try and be pretty general about what we say for now. Uh, so. Speaking of what, so being in the vein of being pretty general, what was your least favorite part of this movie? Not anything specific to the plot, but just like an aspect of it that maybe you had a problem with or something that you thought could have been done better. And again, not like plot related, just like direction, music, uh, cinematography, shit like that.
1: That's actually a good question because that was probably like the first part of the movie. And I actually heard this from a few people. It seems like the first hour of the movie, is kind of slow, you know, like, you know, you want to watch it. It's not like one of those movies you fall asleep to, but it doesn't, it just seems like they don't cover as much ground as you would want them to in an hour of the movie. And then it really starts to ramp up. And I don't, you know, and when I say this, I kind of say it half-heartedly because I think to myself, I'm just like, is that because we're all just waiting for the, the change into the Joker? You know, we just want to see it so badly, like everything before it just kind of seems like whatever, you know? And I think that's kind of what my
0: brain was doing.
1: I just wanted to see that so bad that I just reflect on the first hour as being somewhat lacking us into the second hour.
0: Yeah. I agree. The second hour was, if if the movie ended after the first hour i would have given it like a c grade like it would have been like a an average rating let's put it that way it wouldn't have been horrible but it wouldn't have been great the second half of this movie is where it goes into to masterpiece status in my mind and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we actually give our official ratings but the second half was almost a totally different movie like the first half It's the first half is kind of somber and there isn't there isn't a whole lot of action and it's just kind of you know setting the table and kind of showing you why things that are about to happen soon are going to happen and the second half is just a Molotov cocktail. (laughs) It is loved it.
1: (laughs) It is too, and you could really feel it build up too. That was one of the most brilliant parts of the movie is how well the slow burn's done. You know, like you just you could feel the tension. the more tension, I should, I should say, every scene, you know, like all the way up to the ending. And it's, it's like a
0: punch in the face as soon as it happens, you know, like it, it goes from like zero to 60 real fucking fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. So before we uh, get into spoilers and give our ratings, is the Joker the greatest Batman film in your mind? So let's just take every Batman related film that's ever been made. Is Joker the best? Of no mind. no no what is the best sign in your mind
1: i mean it's hard to say man because there's so many i mean like the dark knight is fucking amazing in my opinion yeah i think the batman is it batman begins is the first one Then it's dark knight i, I forget uh, but because dark knight right? returns is the third one correct
0: no dark knight rises is the third one
1: oh, okay so dark knight dark knight returns dark knight rises
0: and i think batman begins is the first one so okay, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises, I think, is are the titles.
1: Okay. okay. Well, I How think the first go? two Nolan Universe movies are really good. Like, I, I really put those up there with, you know, um, who, who am I thinking? Who directed uh, Keaton's Batman? He's a really famous guy. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Like, I'm a real big fan of those two, but those are a different time, you know, and I, yeah. I try to compartmentalize movies with their time and not try to compare them too much because technology's changed and people have different perspectives on what makes uh, a good movie you know so
0: true true i think i think the original batman holds up really well though i don't know if you've seen it on blu-ray or not but the the effects were actually really good because they were practical so you Mm -hmm. weren't you're not dealing with like shady 90s cg or anything like that it was all practical effects The Batmobile was done really well. Uh, (laughs) Dude, those are some of
1: the coolest parts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I think that for me, I agree with you that Joker isn't the greatest Batman movie of all time. For me, it is the the OG Tim Burton Batman. I just love that movie. I saw it when I was two years old as one of the first movies that was quote unquote edgy that I ever saw as a very, very small child. Like It was the first thing that our parents let me watch that wasn't like G-rated, basically. Yeah, and I watched the fuck out of it. And uh, I, I'll fully admit that it's probably a lot of nostalgia and, you know, rose-tinted glasses. But I actually have went back and rewatched it as an adult. And I do believe it holds up really well. And I would say that's my absolute favorite. I would say my number two is The Dark Knight. And I would say Joker is my number three.
1: For sure. Yeah, Joker's definitely going to be my second. It's hard to say which one of Nolan's movies is my favorite, but it's between the first two. Those were just so well done.
0: Yeah. I don't think I liked Batman begins as much as most people. Uh, -hmm. I only watched it once and it didn't really, the thing I liked most about it was Ra's al Ghul. I liked, you know, I liked, uh, playing him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was my favorite part of that movie. Honestly, (laughs) I wasn't really sold at that point on Christian Bale. I think, I think that was a part of the problem. I was kind of just like, eh, I don't know if I like Christian Bale's Batman, but, um, but yeah, I think that that goes pretty well into the final thing I'll bring up before we go into spoilers. Do you think Joaquin Phoenix is the best Joker of all time?
1: Absolutely, and I say that and I say that confidently because I mean it's definitely like right there under him. like you know it was a hard it's a hard thing to pass, but I think what Joaquin did with with his performance was it phenomenal. Like it was I don't say it lightly it's it was a masterpiece. performance like these mannerisms and these, you know, like you said with the laugh and the way his demeanor was, it's just, and again, the slow burn of the character progression was done so well. I just, yeah, I have to give it to him.
0: <laughs> yeah. For me, it was a little bit harder. Uh, when we, I remember when we first walked out of the theater, I asked you that question and you immediately said yes. And yeah. I was like, ah, I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to put him below Jack Nicholson personally. And, I ruminated on it for an evening and slept on it. And I woke up and I was kind of like, I'm being ridiculous. Jack Nicholson's really good. But what I just saw last night was some next level, like high level autism style acting.
1: Yeah, (laughs) for sure. For sure. You know, it'd be interesting before we like throw the ratings out there is to talk about the um, the, I mean, do you want to talk about? After the fact, subjects of the movie, or do you just want to stick?
0: Well, all right. So, uh, so we both agree he's the best Joker. A uh, little harder for me. I'm, I put the problem is basically that the top three Jokers are really close. Like you have Joaquin Phoenix, you have Jack Nicholson, you have Heath Ledger, all of which did very different versions of Joker, all of which are very good. And it's kind of like a weird thing to to separate them because they're so close together. But when you really look at it, I think that Joaquin Phoenix does edge out the competition, especially Heath Ledger. It wasn't even really tough for me to say he's better than Heath Ledger, mainly because Heath Ledger was only in one movie as a side character. Oh, what was his screen time in that movie? Maybe 30 minutes of the movie he was actually in? Like it, It wasn't his movie, and he did a great job with what he had, but it's hard to compete with Joaquin Phoenix when he has an hour and forty-five minutes or two hours, whatever that movie was, to do his thing. I think yeah, for kind sure. Of the edge a little bit.
1: Most definitely. I mean, who knows what Heath would have done if he would be around? You know, like we might be talking having a different conversation. right?
0: Oh, it could you imagine you know? that? Like he would have just reprised Joker for like indefinitely because everyone loved him so much you know that they would have just offered it to him. He would have been in Suicide Squad. He would have been in this, probably. <laughs> it's it's interesting mean, to think about the alternate timeline that would have happened if he didn't die.
1: Yeah, but they didn't do that with anybody else from the Nolan universe. People love Christian Bale. Uh,
0: People like Christian Bale, but no one talked about him really the way they talked about Joker, like the Heath Ledger. Everyone had a hard-on for Heath Ledger as Joker. Like, everyone. Yeah. It was and a then very Aaron. popular opinion. What about Aaron
1: Eckhart? Is that his name for Two-Face? I, think that was I don't name.
0: think anyone gave a fuck about Two-Face in that movie. In fact, I think the most criticism I hear of The Dark Knight is that they spent too much time on Two-Face. I've heard that from <laughs> multiple people, actually. So I'm going to say that ah, he didn't... I didn't think he I was I thought bad. that
1: movie was really well done. I thought...
0: Oh, for sure. As a movie, I think it's one of the greatest comic book movies of all time and I liked the Two-Face stuff and I liked the Joker stuff. I liked all of it. But I've heard a lot of people, like when I argue with people about uh, Dark Knight versus other Batmans, a lot of people will use that as their ammunition. They'll say, oh, Dark Knight was good, but then they, they spent too much time on Two-Face and didn't give Heath Ledger enough time. And it's something I've heard from multiple people, not just one person. So, it's out there. You know, it's an opinion in,
1: in, you know again, With this whole like, it wasn't that long ago, but they still were kind of in a different time. And they were also, they were most definitely in a different time when comics were treated or how comics were treated in Hollywood. You know, like when the Batman Nolan universe was going on, there was no such thing as a cinematic universe that had yet to happen, you know. And now we get, we compare it to these movies where these elements have to exist, you know, and that's where you get the notions of people's critique like that, where it's just like, oh, well, Heath, you know, was in a movie, wasn't in a solo movie and he was, he didn't get as much time as he, he should have. And there was too much time for Two-Face and all this. It's like, can you, is it really like uh right to even like have that argument, you know? Cause they're just, there's so different movies, you know, it's just like, well, Heath's Joker, like you said, 30 minutes of screen time. He was a character for, with a purpose, you know? Like he came in, caused chaos. He was the Joker, and you know. And then the movie was over. With Joaquin's Joker movie, it was more a more than just the Joker. Like the character was building into the Joker, but the movie was more about Arthur Fleck.
0: Oh, for sure. And, and how? 90, what ninety yeah. percent of it was Arthur Fleck? He didn't really. Do yeah. That. Well, I guess we should probably. All right, maybe this is yeah. a good time to go into spoilers. <laughs> so, uh, right now, let's give our let's give our rating for the people that are going to stop here for spoilers. We have our patented Joker rating system, which is going to be weird just for this episode because it's based on the Joker and because Joaquin Phoenix is an actual ranking in the ranking system that we are about to rank him with. <laughs> uh, but, so we have the S rank, the Masterpiece class, and that's Joaquin Phoenix. And then we have Jack Nicholson, A rank, excellent. We have Heath Ledger, favorable, B rank. And we have Cesar Romero, poor, C rank. And then we have Jared Leto, laughable, at D rank. Where do you put this movie?
1: Oh, it's it's in it's you know, it's a, it's a doppelganger effect right there. It's walking phoenix yeah. for walking phoenix right it's, there.
0: Yeah, it's kinda like a spoiler <laughs> alert. We it's S rank for a reason.
1: <laughs> I don't know how much I agree with the placements. Like I feel like it's not right to call Caesar Romero poor. You know? Really?
0: Have <laughs> you seen a lot of the Adam West Batman?
1: Well, it was a it was a kooky show, you know. I'm not saying he was like a fucking badass motherfucker, but I don't. I wouldn't say
0: he was like Moriarty, dude. Like it was. was was I mean, he would have been the last drink if Jared Leto doesn't exist. Like it would have been an easy call to make him the last drink if Jared Jared Leto saved his ass, in my opinion. (laughs) I used to make fun of Caesar Romero incessantly when I was younger in the Adam West Batman. I always thought that Adam West Batman was. Kind of a joke. Uh, it, it was. And, and that's coming from a hardcore Batman fan, comic book and movies. And I always thought the Adam West Batman was a joke.
1: I didn't think it. I'm just kind of, you know, now that you bring it up, it's, I'm trying to think, is that, was that a thing? Do people not consider it a joke? People can, like, take Adam West Batman seriously? Was that I think a thing?
0: That, you know, I think there's <laughs> some really old nerds out there that grew up with it. And it has a special place in their heart. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to offend you. But you, even those people, have to really take a step back and be like, okay, Cesar Romero was a, he was a clown. And he was playing the Joker, so he should be a clown. But it wasn't the right kind of clown. It was, it was the uh, laugh at you, not laugh with you clown. And, uh, yeah, so, so you're going to give it an S rank, Joaquin Phoenix, a Masterpiece. I, of course, am going to agree with you. As as said before, I I was kind of flirting with the idea that this movie wasn't a masterpiece. I kind of tried to talk myself out of it for a while. Like, I was thinking, okay, maybe this movie isn't as good as I thought it was. And I thought about it a lot, and I kind of went over it over and over again. And I just couldn't, I couldn't step it down. There's something about this movie that strikes a chord. It is not your typical comic book movie, and that is saying something. Like, Deadpool isn't your typical comic book movie, and this is 8,000 miles south of Deadpool. So, when you talk about this movie, you're actually talking about it as a movie, and not as just a vehicle for comic book characters. Like, you, if you're talking about the, the quintessential example is Avengers Endgame, a movie that just served as a vehicle for all of these Marvel characters to do stuff. That's not what this movie is. This is a movie that is like something you would have seen in the early 80s if the interest in the budget was there. It's it's an old school feeling movie on purpose. And the, the director, Todd Phillips, I think is a fan of those types of movies and that's why it kind of strikes a chord where he took it seriously he wasn't saying oh, i'm just milking a comic book franchise i just you know here's mr freeze and here's the riddler cool he's like no we're gonna take the joker and we're gonna turn him into a real person and i love him for doing it and so yeah i'm gonna give this movie an s rank a joaquin phoenix the best comic book movie of all time in my opinion south of the original Batman.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's appropriate.
0: All right, so now let's go into spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite scene in this movie?
1: I would have to say it's a toss up, really. I think, like, the most emotional favorite scene I had in that movie was when you find out that he's been just. It's all been in his head. The whole relationship was as he beats character, you know. And then you realize that the only other time they've ever interacted is when he's in her apartment and she's scared to death, you know. <laughs> and then it, the next scene is him running down the hallway, and this mute, this intense music's playing. It's never used anywhere else in the movie. After that, it was like all music. I love, yeah. And you just and it implied something, but I really like how they left it open ended. You know, they're just like, did she die or is Arthur? still a good person at heart. You know, he's not this terrible person that just kills any random person, you know? I liked how they did that. And then, but I think my real favorite scene, honestly, is the apartment scene where he has his two co-workers in there. And he fucking just corks that dude's fucking skull with that scissors and then jabs him in the fucking neck and fucking, mm-hmm. he just makes that midget watch. And, I our small person, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> but... He, you know, he's, he just lets him go, and he knows that fucking door is
0: locked, and <laughs> he can't reach it. And he's it's like, can you unlock the door for me, Arthur? He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite scene is definitely that scene, too. The one in the apartment where he kills the dude who narked on him. Kind of set yeah. him up, honestly. It was more like he set him up, then narked on him, which makes it even double egregious. Which, I, the reason I find this scene so good is because it is 100% something that would happen in real life. Like, I've literally had friends in my life do exactly what this guy did. They fucked me over, and then they realized I had something on them for whatever reason, and they came over to my house to try and do, like, a mea culpa. And try and, you know, try and get information like, are you going to fuck me over on this thing? Are you going to say this thing? I don't want you to say the exact same thing has happened to me several times in my life. And I think that's part of the reason why I identified with the scene so much, because not because anyone's done anything that fucked up to me. Uh, in that situation, which is not the case, but because I could kind of see where it was coming from, and then you have the Arthur Fleck, this is how I'm going to deal with this now that I've been pushed around for this entire movie, and you are the one who really fucked me the most in this entire movie, so you're going to die. And I also thought it was perfect, because at this point, he had just killed his mother, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's what he was building on momentum. You yeah. like he was riding that high.
0: Yeah, so so we start <laughs> with him killing the three Wall Street banker guys which most people would say is justified. At least the first guy. The first guy was assaulting him, so that was justified 100%. The second yeah. guy kind no,
1: of... No, that was that was, that was v- like a vengeance yeah, kill. That was kind of
0: yeah. And then the third one is where it became egregious where people were like, "Oh no, that was just cold-blooded." Yeah. And then, so you have that, then you build on that. You you find he finds out about his his mom's is such happened. an
1: amazing scene too
0: <laughs> and, and then he just goes straight to the hospital and murks his mom and then he goes home prepares for this or at this point did he have the the scheduled visit with uh Robert de Niro or was that after the scene no
1: see I think, no, he see, right. I think he, there like right after that he was in the um he was in the, the bathroom. And I think he was dying his hair. I think it was, like, right after he dyed his hair for the first time or something. I'm not quite sure. But he had the phone ring. And he was surprised that they wanted to invite him on the show.
0: That's right. what happened.
1: So, so I don't know right if they were kind of implying he was going to kill himself after that. And then that happened. I'm not quite sure what we were going with.
0: I'm not sure either. But the... The momentum, like you said, the momentum that built from the first three kills, then his mom, and then the guy who fucked him over the most comes over with this disingenuous offering. (laughs) It's so obvious what he's trying to do. He brings the midget as a shield because he was afraid to go by himself. It's all so transparent. And you're sitting there thinking in most situations, in most movies, there would be a stern talking down, but then that's it. And then it'd just all be over. But then in one of the most shocking moments in recent movie history, he violently assassinates this guy right in front of this midget. And I love the way that they showed him killing him and they kept showing the midget watching it happen. Yeah, I I thought that was the way he scares the
1: midget. When he walks by, he's like, ah, (laughs) yeah. But I mean, it was a calculated murder. I mean, you, I mean, it oh, yeah. built it up. I mean,
0: he you showed him, grabbed the scissors, and let him have his yeah. piece. And then he was like, fucking <laughs> Yeah, it was. Perfect. It was perfect. And a- another thing that ties into one of the things I was going to go into is Zazy beats and that whole thing is that there's there's a theory that the Joker only kills people that wronged him. That every single person in the movie that he kills wronged him in a way, and and that's kind of supported by the fact that and this is probably the funniest part of the movie and i remember me and you were laughing in the theater when this happened but no one else was everyone else was just dead silent the midget was trying to get out and he was like jumping up to lock it and we're we're just in there laughing everyone else is just in there horrified (laughs) and i just had this feeling that he wasn't going to kill the midget yeah yeah i mean i got that from the beginning, yeah, you know? I think that's why I was laughing at it because I just knew he wasn't going to kill the midget. And of course, as soon he's like, uh, "Can you let me out, <laughs> dude?" And but, he kind of, I like this part too. Joking, Phoenix kind of smiles a little bit, and he, it's like he's kind of aware, like a little bit of Deadpool self-awareness going on in this part where he's like, "You think I'm going to kill you? Nah, you can go, dude." And he lets him out. Yeah, And it's just but he's like not a good crafted scene. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. But I mean, by the end of the movie, he's not a good person. I mean. I don't think, I mean, while it was, it was good character build up and it was good, or sh- I should say character progression, but Mori's death wasn't warranted. I mean, Mori didn't do that much to him to get a fucking bullet in the head on his own show. And so like, you know, well, you like know, that was we're like, going to the, to
0: the fight. Well, not the final kill, the second to final kill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Let's take a step back here. Is the Joker an anti-hero or a villain? Oh, he's a villain. Okay. I agree with you. Because I've read a lot of comic books of the Batman, and I've seen every Joker-related thing basically for Batman, and he's always been a villain. He has never been an anti-hero. This isn't the
1: most fucked up joke. If we're considering comics, you know, this isn't the most fucked up Joker by any means. Oh, definitely not. There is by any means.
0: Definitely not, but I found it very odd that the media was basically framing Joker as an anti-hero. Every single media review that I saw that wasn't like a YouTuber, like an independent person, but was like an actual like media related reviewer, they all framed it like he was an anti-hero in this movie, and I never got that. And it sounds like you didn't either.
1: No, not at all. This is a descent movie. You know, this is showing someone descending into <laughs> the heart of darkness,
0: essentially. Yes. Like <laughs> Yes, exactly. So so all right, so we talked about Zazzy beats. <laughs> Let's take another step back. How much of this movie do you think was real? And how much of it was a daydream? Because there is a lot of variance with this, and there's a lot of theories out there. I've seen people theorize that the only thing that was real in this entire movie was the final scene when he was in Arkham Asylum and he murdered his uh, uh, therapist or whatever you want to call her. (laughs) I've heard that from a lot of people. It's a popular theory. What do you think about that?
1: I mean, it's interesting. I, I never, you know, I'll never, know, i be honest, the thought never really occurred to me. I just kind of thought that was their way of doing an end credit scene, but not an end credit scene. You know, they just kind of gave it to you. Because mm-hmm. remember there was no end credits. We waited for it And that kind of felt like one of those end credit scenes Where you're like well what's what's up next for the Joker And it's just him in the fucking insane asylum Up oh, yeah. to fucking he's he's delved even deeper You know and now he's just killing innocent people
0: Yeah if this was a Marvel movie That scene would have come at the end of the credits Instead of at the end of the yeah. movie For sure So, so yeah it's interesting because when you go Fight Club The way this movie did with the This isn't real he was hallucinating it type shit It kind of opens a Pandora's box because at that point, you can't trust anything. And that's why you have these theories that go all the the deepness of, oh, nothing yeah. is real. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. But I do kind of wonder if the whole... Because, okay, so the very first... Let's take another step back. The first thing that was fake that we find out was him, and this is the very beginning of the movie, fantasizing a B, about being on Robert De Niro's show. And remember, he yep. and he kind of like it's like almost like Robert De Niro's his dad, and it's kind of a really weird little daydream. And they make it really clear that that was a daydream. They don't like it's not like a oh we found out it was a daydream. They make it very clear in the very beginning of the movie. But then nothing else the rest of the movie is ever shown like that. Everything else is shown to be real, including the Zazzy beat stuff. Which ends up in one of the most chilling scenes in the movie. You find out that it was not real because he's just sitting there like a serial killer on her couch. with her cowering in the darkness like, I know who you are, please leave. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's very layered. I mean, that's why I don't try to give those type of like conspiracies too much credence because just like, as you said, it opens the box and it's like, it's so hard to even keep your feet grounded in that type of space, you know?
0: <laughs> so. for, for sure. It, it, it's definitely a can of worms. So are you just going to go with the kind of what the movie wants you to think, which is the thing in the beginning, obviously was a daydream with the Robert De Niro. And then the Zazzy beats thing was a daydream, but everything else was real. Is that your opinion? For, for sure. Me? Okay. Yeah. I think I'm I mean, with you on it. I, I tried to think about it a bit and I just you can't know, uh, I can't imagine that Todd Phillips wanted to make a movie where 99% of it wasn't real. It just doesn't yeah. seem like his style.
1: Well, and I you also got to think that he while this movie is his brainchild, he has to keep in some parameters of what DC wants him to do with the character and I doubt with all the, money, all, like all the money sinks they've done and all the unsuccessful attempts at character adopt adaptations and stuff like that. They wanted, by on the chance that this movie was successful as it was, that it ends up he's just this crazy dude in a loony band because you can't go anywhere with that, you know? So I guess that theory kind of works if there was never another Joker, you know? But the moment Joker 2 happens or this DC black label type thing becomes real, you know, that whole idea just doesn't seem like it has a lot of credit, you know, like it just seems not like a plausible idea.
0: Yeah. The one thing that gives me pause on it is I don't remember which uh, comic book this was, but there was a Batman comic book that I read where it was about the Joker and the Joker was giving his backstory to someone. And as, as soon as the backstory was over, he was like, Oh, that none of that shit actually happened but this is the backstory I want you to think of me as. He, he said something to that effect, and that sticks out to me a lot, because if you look at this movie, and you look at the way it ended, you could kind of see that he was creating his own backstory in his head to justify what he wanted to do, which was really bad things. You could kind of see how they could kind of make that the thing that's happening in this movie—that they're taking this inspiration from the comics, where Joker is known to make up backstories about himself just to fool with people, and and a lot of them aren't actually real—and that this whole movie was one of those backstories that he made up, and maybe he told it to that prof— or not professor—that a uh, therapist right before he murdered her. So I, I <laughs> you
1: think, think that was a story? Oh, that's that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. So he's t- explaining the whole movie to that. That therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now okay. I
0: don't. I don't think it's true. I think that like if I had to give it odds, I'd say it's like a twenty-five percent chance that that's what happened, and the other seventy-five percent is what we just talked about, where it's the two things were the fake things, and everything else in the movie was real.
1: Yeah, because they went out of their way to like you know give you a conclusion to both those where they were like they were clearly delusions. You know.
0: Yeah. For sure. So what do you think about the age difference between Batman and Joker? Because in this movie, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne is like, what, 10? And Joker is, I mean, he looks like he's in his late 40s. But if you want to say, you know, movie magic, suspend disbelief, let's put him at 38. That's a big difference.
1: I don't think, and I think this has already been covered by the director himself, Todd Phillips, you know, where he, he didn't per se, like, actually make it official, but he kind of... Uh, implied that, like, Arthur Fleck isn't the Joker that the Batman is, like, at odds with. He's, like, this origin cult-type figure that starts the mythos, if you will, of Joker. And then the Joker that we're all aware of, the more, you know, purple suit, slick back hair-type guy kind of emerges, if that's the direction they go in type of thing. Yeah, he didn't say it in so many words, but he did say that, yeah. He said this, perhaps that Arthur Fleck wasn't the Joker that Batman meets. I think those were around okay.
0: his words. I, think I did not hear that. That's interesting. Well, yeah. that would make more and sense I- because the age difference would be weird because by the time Batman is actually Batman in this universe, I mean, Joker's going to be, like, in his 60s. Which For sure. Which, could be. I mean, if you think about it, Jack Nicholson was way older than... Um,
1: than Michael <laughs> Keaton? Michael Keaton.
0: They weren't too I, much. It's funny. Every time I think of my, Michael Keaton, my brain ame- immediately goes to Steve Gutenberg. And it's always <laughs> my entire life. Like from the day I was born, as soon as I think of Michael Keaton, my brain's saying, Steve Gutenberg. And I have no fucking idea why. It's the weirdest thing in the world.
1: Very but, interesting.
0: <laughs> but if, if you look at that movie. I think that Jack Nicholson was probably 20 years older, right? Or maybe 15 no. years older. He was older, no. Right? right?
1: No, I would say no more than 10-year difference. They were they're around the same age.
0: Maybe. I don't know. Just to me, for some reason, Jack Nicholson's Joker always just seemed old to me. Like, when I looked at him, he just always seemed like the old Joker. But, yeah, maybe it's not as big of a difference as I was thinking. You think there should be a sequel?
1: Definitely. Well, it was- I think that there's going to be – oh, you're right. He is um, – Nicholson's 81, and he, uh, Keaton's 68 right now. So,
0: Okay, so that's ex- that's about but, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, like
1: But, yeah, I mean, it really all depends with, like, how they're doing their DC black label. And, you know, there's also movies that are already supposed to happen, like Aquaman 2 and Black Adam. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm missing a couple, like Wonder Woman, I'm pretty sure, is getting a sequel with uh, uh, Panthera. I think is her name. I'm not quite sure. I forget the not panther' Fucking uh, cheetah, cheetah, or whatever. <laughs> I forget. it's just cheetah, but I've always read in the comics. I was like, are they trying to do a hard H? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> the DC Black Label is interesting. That are they officially gonna like? I, I guess I'll just say, are they gonna officially do a soft reboot of the universe? And they're slowly but surely gonna cancel some of these movies on the background, like Aquaman two, or maybe somehow tie them in because my personal hope is is that because of how successful this was that there will be a joker 2 in this black label this dc black label will get expanded on even further than just a joker ip and maybe even before the joker 2 comes out we'll get something else like black adam like i said maybe they'll just shoehorn black adam into the black label and give the rock a really cool uh, opportunity to have a cool performance because black adam is an anti-hero he's not a villain. Mm-hmm. You know? so I was very surprised
0: good- when I heard they were doing Black Adam. That's a that's an interesting... It's kind of like their version of Guardians of the Galaxy. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of yeah, a reach. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> but, uh, so, okay, so I, I agree that there's going to be a sequel for sure because the movie was too profitable. I, even if you want to say critically that it wasn't good, which is a joke, it's one of the greatest movies I've seen in many years. But if, even if you want to make that argument... It it's a billion dollars on a fifty million dollar budget, dude. It's not at a billion yet. It's going it's to at, it's at it's it, seven fifty well, right now?
1: No, it passed eight hundred. Okay. Uh, it's gonna hit yeah. a billion. It's and it's and that's in it didn't even get released in China, I guess.
0: No. So that's it's, not
1: it's, even <laughs> that's crazy to think. That means that this movie Destroyed even if if I'm thinking right, it destroyed Avengers Endgame numbers yeah, because
0: without taking the dirty Chinese money too. Yeah, the there's because
1: there's no doubt if it was in China and people would watch it, they
0: get past a billion. <laughs> well, that movie would never be allowed in China, dude. Like that movie is basically anti-Chinese without being anti-Chinese. The entire concept of a tyrannical yeah. government out of control. Putting all of the people down that are you know like the common people—that's what's happening in China right now. That's what Hong Kong protests are all about. So it makes a hundred percent sense why China's like, nah, you're not bringing this movie over. All right, well uh, that brings me to the next uh, interesting tidbit, which is that there is a Batman coming out with your favorite lead character from twilight playing bruce wayne and batman you know so do you think this joker movie will tie in to twilight batman
1: you know i'm all about second chances i mean, you give the man a chance you know i never watched twilight i just know his inf- the infamous nature of the movies but I, you know i watched i watched a trailer for a movie that i don't think's out yet or maybe it just premiered it's called the lighthouse it's starring uh um what's his name the yeah, guy we were just talking about? Talk Twilight?
0: About blah, blah, blah. Oh, Robert Pattinson?
1: Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Ooh, Willem Dafoe's in that? Yeah, oh. it's like a, ca- it's a cabin fever type movie where they're in this lighthouse during a storm just getting pissed drunk. And it's a dark comedy and it's all in black and white. Ooh. And it's supposed to take place back in the day, you know, like when they're smoking wood, wood, wooden pipes and stuff like that. So hey, it that? looks...
0: We're going to see that, for sure. Yeah, and even
1: before I even, I haven't even watched it, right? And I saw the trailer, and I was like, dude, Robert's back.
0: Yeah, so I agree with you on uh, the second chances, and I gave Batfleck a chance, and he ended up being a disaster. But I went into it pretty open-minded. I was I was ready to give him a chance, and wow, did he not, not play out.
1: He didn't I want to be there. It's no. so obvious.
0: It was a weird one. But with Robert Pattinson, I almost feel like... With my mind's eye, I can just see him as uh, Bruce Wayne. I like I like the idea of him being Bruce Wayne. He kind of just looks like a Bruce Wayne to me. But the thing I was worried about is he hasn't been in a good movie ever that I've ever seen. And that's kind of a weird kind Big of... Big caveat. Miasma <laughs> to, ...to have following you into Batman. The fact that we're talking about him being great in The Lighthouse makes me a lot more hopeful for his version of Batman. If that's true, which I don't know, he also has a
1: phenomenal actor to like play off of. You know, Willem Dafoe is a great actor, so it's like that could be the element too. You You never never know how well Robert's going to do as a a Batman, where he's the pivotal character, especially because there's two different natures to the character as well. You got to play Bruce Wayne, and then you got to be Batman. You got to be Cape Crusader.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, well, wrapping this up a little bit. Do you think that Thomas Wayne's pseudo-villain persona in this movie would make a potential sequel have Batman as a sort of villain instead of the hero, given the fact that Joker has Joker as a protagonist?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I think they always played on that kind of, you know, like it's kind of, they always called him the vigilante, you know, the Cape crusader. He he was never, I mean, when he becomes more of like an established character in Gotham, the police kind of start to respect him and stuff. But like, you know, in comics, like year one and stuff like that, he didn't have the police on his side. The police were shooting at him just as much as any of the other villains because they thought he was like part of the fucking robberies and shit. And on the other note, Christopher Nolan kind of did the same thing too. You know, like they, in the beginning, uh, Batman was running from the police a lot and he still did even in like the second movie, you know, he wasn't, he was, I think if my memory serves me right, kind of like at fault for like those buildings blowing up and like letting the Joker play his game, you know? So I don't know. I think they always played with those elements and it would be interesting to see if they took it even a step further, possibly, you know, with Robert Pattinson's playing off of the Thomas Wayne from, the Joker DC Black Label universe. And this is the the other part. Like, is this going to be a DC Black Label movie or is this a Batman that's going to stand with, you know, established characters like Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and uh, um, Jason Momoa's Aquaman and stuff like that? Is he going to replace Batfleck or is this... And this is why I, I said it earlier, the soft reboot. It seems like they're slowly building up to a soft reboot and they just don't want to tell anybody, you know? Like, they'll just kind of smash... They'll take... The characters they can, you know, maybe certain actors don't want to like have that big of a mix up and they won't agree to go in, you know, with the merger, if you will. So who knows how it plays out, but it seems like that's what they're doing. You know, the fact that they're keeping this Batman movie, so they're just not giving the details on it. They're not saying that it's going to be a Batman that replaces Batfleck. You think they would be more straightforward with that, you know, because they're already building this DC universe that now they had just had a successful joker standalone movie and now they're saying this bat other batman movie is a standalone movie if i'm correct it's just like well is it really or are you just gonna like shoehorn it into black label and then you know have a great idea like playing off thomas wayne's weird nature you know or i should say unusual nature compared to his comic book uh origins hmm.
0: all right well uh I don't know, what, what are your closing thoughts? We've talked a lot about Joker. We've already kind of given our rankings uh, before we went into spoilers. Any final thoughts you have on the movie before we end this?
1: I think Todd Phillips did something for the comic book movie industry that hasn't been done since the first Iron Man, in my opinion. I think that's truly when people look back on this, because there's a lot of hate, there's a lot of hysteria for it. Some people, you know, like me, call it a masterpiece. But I think, you know, when this movie is aged a little bit and people can look at it with a clearer lens, that it's going to be one of those defining movies in the comic book community that kind of like just turn the wheel a little bit more, turn the gear a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. The, this movie <laughs> definitely strikes the same chord that the original Iron Man did, where I left the movie thinking, oh, this changes everything. For that's, sure. that's definitely the feeling I got. And the the weird thing about, for me about this movie is that I'm a huge Todd Phillips fan. I love old school, and I love The Hangover. Like, I like his old comedies that he used to make. Mm-hmm. And when I went into this movie, I was like, wait a second. Why is he making a Joker movie? And I thought it was <laughs> going to be cartoony when I heard it. And then I heard, oh, no, it's, like, going to be the darkest version. And when I watched this movie, all I could think of is, oh, he had some darkness in him this whole time while he was making these comedy movies, and I really appreciate kind of the nuance that he brought to the film, and I feel like his comedies actually helped him with it. Like, I found myself laughing in this movie several times. Of course, no one else was, because everyone was afraid to laugh, but... The fact that I was able to laugh so many times in this movie, I think, was kind of a testament to his pedigree and the way he kind of just submarined some funny moments into an otherwise supremely dark movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, they always say that the best comics are fucked up individuals. <laughs> yeah. You know, they had really bad childhoods and shit like that. So yeah. I mean-
0: Yep. Well, yeah, I guess... uh I mean, I, d- I had really no problems with this movie at all. Like, uh, we, we brought up the slow pacing in the beginning, and I wouldn't even really call that a problem for me. It might have been a problem if it went a little bit longer, but it kind of sped up right when it needed to. Yeah, and for sure. I thought that the use of the music in this movie and the direction in general, the way that, like, he went up and down, or he went down those stairs. How many times? The Bronx. Like, the Bronx. stairs. And every time he went down, the color scheme was a little different, the music was a little different, there was a lot of little details in this movie that a lot of people probably won't even pick up on, but it, your brain does, even if you don't, your brain's picking up on it, and I think it's a part of the secret sauce for what makes this movie so great.
1: Yeah, well, it, it, it's, it, again, it's, very, it's a very human movie. It's, it's one of those movies that makes you suspend the disbelief and just want to kind of relate and kind of just sympathize in in a way to a person that you shouldn't <laughs> you know yes. you just shouldn't. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that is the greatest accomplishment of this movie yeah. is that it got a lot of people to look at the Joker as a protagonist. Yeah, hero, which is very odd, <laughs> which is hard to do and he did it. So so many applause to him. Taking off my big Hollywood sunglasses, putting out the torch. I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm Broadcaster Nichols. Signing off from the crack cellar, as the prophecy was foretold.